Hey, what is up, guys? Today's episode is brought to you by the incredible sponsors of the program, ChemicalFreeBody.com. If health and wellness is a priority for you, then check out the incredible products over at ChemicalFreeBody. Plant-based nutritional supplements from Super Greens, my favorite, with all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, and micronutrients in just one single scoop. Toss it in your glass of water, your shake, your smoothie, however you want to do it. They also have other incredible products, gut detoxers, anti-inflammatories, immune boosters, and so much more. ChemicalFreeBody.com and check out that promo code, it's me, all one word, it's me for discounts at your checkout. And look, we have so many different insurance policies in our life. And if the last couple years has taught you anything, it taught me that storable food needs to be on that list. Prepare with itsme.com, the incredible products over at My Patriot Supply. They have four-week supply of food, three-month supply, all products with up to a 25-year shelf life. Have the peace of mind, ladies and gentlemen, of having storable food and have that supply on deck. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And uh, if you have, you know, shaving needs like nice chrome domes like me, SkullShaver.com is a whole new concept in face and head shaving. The products offered over there include men's head shavers, face shavers, hair clippers, and trimmers. And ladies, we haven't forgot about you with the butterfly kiss. And we also have a large selection of accessories to make your life that much more simple. All of the shavers come with uh, removable, washable blades made of premium Japanese stainless steel to ensure flawless results. It just makes it so much easier. You can get your shaving done anytime, anywhere, in or out of the shower. It gets no better. Skullshaver.com, front slash discount, front slash it's me. All of the links to these incredible products will be in the description of this episode. So without further delay, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It's me speaking to you, and tonight I am so stoked to have our guest. I have spoken with this man several times on another program, and I'm so stoked to introduce him to the It's Me Speaking to You audience. He is former Russian Spetsnaz, good friend. It's so always interesting and great to get his perspective on a great many of world events. If I, like I said, I have uh, before, but. Uh, it's interesting as in real time, this is um, this is something I definitely want to get his perspective on. SonnyPuzikis.com is a one-stop shop where you can see everything he's got going on. He's got a pretty cool podcast himself called The Gospel of Violence. He is uh, so very um, generous with his time to come hang out with us tonight and see what the F is going on in the world. Sonny Puzikis, what's up, brother? How are you doing, Jeffrey? I am good, man. I am good. Like I said, uh, do- we is good. A lot, of, a lot of things going on in the world, I guess, huh? That's what I hear. That's what I hear. <laughs> I could be wrong because, you know, I, anyway, um, it's, I don't want to assume. I know a lot of people, and I've always been a history fan. And, you know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I don't want to assume that everybody knows the historical context of what we're seeing right now. So if you can, in a layman's terms, a brief summary, if you don't mind, of basically somewhat of the historical context of, of what we're looking at today. And the last five days, this is days five of the quote-unquote invasion of the Ukraine. Yeah. Well, how far do you want me to go back in history, Jeffrey? Yeah, exactly. Um, let's, let's start with, let's just start with the 20, 20th century. You know, the fall of Russia, quote-unquote, the fall of the Soviet Union, etc. And, um, yeah, because it does go back very far. You okay, are- well. Yeah, it does go back to BC. It does go back to before Christ. So, you know, the history is very rich. The, the history is very complex of uh, 
what is currently the the state of Ukraine. Uh, that territory was uh, under control of so many different people over the ages. As I said, that predates Christ. Um, you can say that uh, the modern history of Russia, uh, uh, it was called Kiev and Rus, uh, with the capital of Kiev. That was like early iteration of a Russian uh, kingdom. This is going back to the 10th century. Um, mm. From there, you have uh, a lot of developments happening and a slow formation of what became known in uh, somewhere around 17th, 18th century as Ukrainian people. Uh, up to that point, there was no Ukrainian language. There was uh, really not much of a distinction. Uh, language started developing then. And when we fast forward to, you know, a little bit later, closer to the 20th century, uh, the territories, especially of the current day southern Ukraine, they were switching hands between Ottoman Empire and Hungarian Empire mm -hmm. and Russian Empire and so forth. Uh, fast forward to World War One. At the end of World War One, uh, most of Ukraine went into German, became German protectorate. Uh, a lot of Western areas of Ukraine were under Polish rule. They were part of Poland. Um, then, obviously, with 1939, Ribbentrop Pact, Ribbentrop-Molotov Pact, uh, Ukraine became part of Soviet Union. Uh, large territories that were under Polish rules, Galicia, Western Ukraine, well, city of Lviv is, uh, were included into Ukraine Socialist Republic. Uh, at that point, mind you, and going many years back, Crimea was part of Russia. Uh, Crimea was never part of Ukrainian state up until 1954, when then Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev, who is ethnically himself is Ukrainian, uh, with the stroke of a pen, reassigned the, the whole area, the whole peninsula of Crimea from Russia to Ukraine. Uh, so... That's, you know, small little detail when people are talking about, you know, Russians occupying Crimea and annexing Crimea. Uh, Crimea historically was not part of Ukraine. Right. So there's that. Uh, we fast forward and, and, and we can, you know, it's, it's a separate conversation about what Ukrainian folks refer to as a whole of the more, you know, the, the starvation in the 30s. Uh, a lot of Ukrainian folks and historians, and uh, and especially now with propaganda, obviously, it's being presented that it was specifically targeted at Ukrainian people. It wasn't. Uh, that event was uh, throughout Soviet Union. Uh, millions of people died everywhere. Uh, partially, percentage-wise, Ukraine suffered heavier. And the reason for that is the previous arrangement as a, as Ukrainian territory was under the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Uh, they were under very, very strict directives as to what kind of crops they should grow. And so then with the Stalin's genius plan to reorganize into collective farming, obviously didn't go too well. And uh, with very uh, limited selection of crops that were growing in Ukraine, uh, 
Ukrainian folks suffered greatly. Greatly. Uh, yeah. Uh, World War II, again, um, there's a lot of history that goes into it. You know, we can look pre-World War II, going back to the end of 19th century, beginning of 20th century, with ascent of uh, Ukrainian nationalism, so-called nationalism is in the, that specifically started in the Western Ukraine, in the lands formerly uh, controlled by Poland. Uh, names like Bandera come to mind and uh, many others. Uh, so when World War II started, a lot of uh, significant, very significant numbers of uh, Ukrainians from Western Ukraine joined with Nazis. As a matter of fact, three separate SS divisions were formed uh, that were staffed by Ukrainians. And uh, it's not hard to look in the history what kind of deeds they committed. Right. Uh, both against Polish and Jew Jews and Russians. So that history, that vibe really stayed very strong in Ukraine, in, in the western parts of Ukraine. Now, ethnically, Ukraine is a pretty... It has a pretty big division when you look at the western and northern parts of Ukraine to southern and eastern parts of Ukraine. Southern and eastern parts of Ukraine have significantly higher percentage of uh, ethnic Russians, especially when you go to the very eastern parts, which is now referred to as Donbass region, you know, Donetsk and Luhansk people's republics. And this is and, the area uh, that Putin has, has moved into just along with the northern border, but along that eastern border where he kind of moved into that Donbass area. Yes, yes. So when Soviet Union broke apart in uh, 1991, uh, Ukraine, along with all other uh, 15 republics of former Soviet Union, became independent country. Um, again, it's not a big secret. It's not a jab at Ukrainian people because they were on the receiving end. Uh, Ukraine is very well known as probably one of, if not the most corrupt countries in Europe. Uh, politically, corruption there is absolutely staggering. Uh, it hasn't changed much. Uh, oligarchy, uh, there's there's a lot of involvement of organized crime. There, there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, and not, not, to, not to interrupt, but I mean, with, uh, with Biden's son and his ties to some of the energy companies, going back to even... Um, uh, Hillary Clinton with the Uranium One deal. Yeah, so, yeah and, and it's that... not just Biden's son. Because no, of course not. It, it's kind of funny because John Kerry's child, uh, Nancy Pelosi's child, uh, all of these individuals coincidentally have dealings with Ukrainian companies, right. significant dealings. So the nationalist movement in Ukraine came back. I mean, they came back roaring after Ukraine became independent. Uh they had numerous elections. There was a lot of uh, back and forth between what Western media refers to as pro-Russian or uh, pro-independence candidates. Uh, you had Yanukovych. You had, uh, you know, one other gentleman running who, funny enough, just before elections, supposedly he got poisoned that disfigured his face. As a sympathy vote, he got elected. Uh, Corruption went absolutely through the roof. Uh, Yulia Timoshenko, another activist from Western Ukraine, uh, very close friend to a lot of uh, U.S. politicians from Washington, D.C., uh, 
absolute involvement in corruption, money laundering, and so forth. Mm. Uh, so now fast forward to about 2004, 2005, they had what they call Orange Revolution. Uh, things again were moving back and forth, whether it was pro-Russian or pro-independence or pro-Western Europe or pro-EU, whichever way you want to call uh, leadership in the country. Um Living conditions in Ukraine were not improving at all. As a matter of fact, the 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 level was dropping pretty steadily. Uh, there was a lot of unhappy people, uh, depending on the regions where they lived. They blamed one side or the other for all the corruption and all the bad things happening. And now we fast forward to... 2013. Um, there was a presidential election, a uh, closely contested presidential election. Uh, by all means, with the presence of uh, Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe observers, uh, it was a fair and open election. Uh, Mr. Yanukovych, who was called pro-Russian president, won the election. At that point, they were Ukraine was negotiating uh, some kind of a plan of eventual acceptance of Ukraine into European Union. Uh, part of that plan was uh, provision from World Bank and uh, monetary fund of billions of dollars in loans. But those loans came with uh, very, very severe conditions. Yes. Uh, and those conditions involved very significant uh, raises in the cost of uh, gas and electricity and heating oil and so forth that would have just slammed your Ukrainian people even lower than they were already were. Well, and that and just a, as a side note, John Perkins wrote a book called Diary of an Economic Hitman, where he gets into how the U, uh, the IMF does do that. Uh, it loans people money with all these different conditions that essentially uh, they break the country. Breaks the countries, yes. They break the country. I mean, we've seen we've seen examples with Greece. We've seen examples with numerous European countries, mm-hmm. Portugal, and so forth and so forth. Uh, with Ukraine being much bigger country than Greece, this was going to be a whole lot more severe. A whole lot more severe. So negotiations broke down, and uh, Yanukovych put it on hold. Negotiations with the European Union and uh, International Monetary Fund, and. Uh, their attention went to Russia, and Russia offered loans under much easier conditions without in, in you know implementing all these demands of uh, raising prices and so forth. And uh, so at this stage, protests started in Kiev, in the square now known as Maidan. And uh, for a couple months there, they were relatively peaceful. They were growing bigger. Um, coincidentally, a lot of Western and specifically U.S. non-governmental, so-called non-governmental organizations, hmm. uh, were working in Ukraine since 2004-2005. They were very active, involved in a lot of things. Uh, Under Secretary of State Victoria Nuland, uh, it is recorded. It is part of the history uh, in her interview not interview but actually her presentation uh in 2013 
she admitted freely that U.S. State Department has up to that point already invested $5 billion into Ukrainian, quote-unquote, democracy movements. Mm. $5 billion, Jeffrey. That's ours, that's yours and my money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, suddenly you started having a U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. He would come out and... uh, have a 10 minute 10 minute meeting with president yanukovych and then he would spend two hours with the protesters in maidan uh mr john mccain started appearing in ukraine quite often Uh, Hmm. many other congressional leaders senators and so forth and so forth Uh, leaders of european union leaders of nato started appearing uh giving out candy talking to protesters telling them that the west is with them so it continued again for, for a couple months, uh, gradually started escalating. Uh, there was an incident where uh, just before Christmas, uh, mayor of Kiev, who was uh, not a friend of the Ukrainian president, but he was very pro-European Union. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of documentation you can find about that individual. But this isn't not, is this the former heavyweight champion Vladimir Klitschko? Or is this a proceeding? No, that's be, that's that's before Klitschko. Okay, yeah, okay, that, that's before Klitschko. And uh, and basically, he gave order to police, mayor, not the president, to clear the square so they can bring in the Christmas tree. And that's what that was the first spark for violence. Uh, Things started burning. Things started being thrown. Uh, it gradually escalated. It became more violent. There was a lot of provocations, and uh, and finally, it got to the point where people started getting killed in those protests in Maidan Square. Uh, suddenly, you had significant portion of uh, Pravi sector, which is the right sector, which is. I mean, you, you, I'm not going to mince words. It's a, it's a neo-Nazi organization from Western Ukraine. Uh, you had a lot of those folks showing up. They were very well organized. They were trained. They were provocateurs. They were doing pretty good job, I would say, to start uh, stoking up some pretty serious violence and pretty serious events. Is this, and, uh, uh, is this with some of that uh, George Soros money they were doing this with? Yes, George Soros also in an interview openly admitted it's on the video, you look it up, that he financed a lot of those movements. And so this is, I mean, just to give context of recent statements, I think this is what Putin means when he's talking about the denazification of the Ukraine. Yes, that is exactly what he means. And uh, when people say that it's a small numbers, I beg to differ. I know the situation on the ground quite well. Uh, I do have friends that do live in Western Ukraine. Uh, I am in contact with them uh, every now and then. And uh, those movements, Pravi sector and other so-called nationalist movements, they are neo-Nazi movements, are very, very strong. As a matter of fact, in Western Ukraine, they opened, they they built the monument to Stefan Bandera, who was a fascist leader of nationalist movement. Uh, And it's... uh, you will see a lot of Nazi symbolism if you visit Western Ukraine. I would suggest against it. But I know some American friends of ours will decide to go there and fight the evil Russians. So they will probably be trying to enter through Western Ukraine. They will see it with their own eyes. Mm. Uh, Fast forward a few days. uh, 
during the 2014 events in Maidan, it started getting a lot more violent. Uh, people started getting burned, cops being killed. Uh, then there was one day where there was a significant sniper activity on the square. Uh, over 40 people got killed in that day. It continued. It ended up with around 100 people dying in that square during the riots. Uh, Yanukovych basically because they already the protesters already occupied his private residence they already occupied a lot of other government buildings they were under their control by the way sniper fire was coming from the building which was under protesters control it was not under control of uh, Ukrainian law enforcement so there's another little little no well it's well known fact but our mass media likes to forget mm -hmm. about that fact. Of course. Post on fire. Anyway, Yanukovych was, it was a coup. It was a coup. Yanukovych was uh, removed from power. Uh, Ukraine, within a few days, had new leadership. They had new president, new prime minister. Uh, all of the guys appointed into leadership positions were close personal friends and hand-selected mm by Victoria Newland and her crew, and that included the new mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, the, you know, the world-class boxer, mm -hmm. and Yatsenyuk, and many other people uh, got into power. Uh, Ukraine started passing a lot of laws, and uh, some of those laws, including a severe limitations of use of Russian language in schools and any kind of official communications, People in Crimea very quickly, I would say, I would say within days of the new government coming into power after the coup, people in Crimea, which is over 90% ethnically Russian, uh, they basically had a referendum and they declared themselves no longer part of state of Ukraine. They also sent a request to Russia to protect Crimea. Russia has a huge strategic interest in Crimea. One of them is being Sevastopol, which is the huge port, the main port of the Russian Black Sea Fleet, mm -hmm. which was under lease from Ukraine for 100 years. Uh, there was enough of intelligence and open source information that Ukraine will break the lease and that port will become a NATO base. Uh, Practically cutting Russia off from Mediterranean, and the only access they would have to seize would be a Baltic Sea, which, again, to exit Baltic Sea and get into the Atlantic, you're going through all the narrow straits of NATO countries. And so the only things Russia would have left as far as naval access was either uh, Arctic or Far East mm. Pacific Ocean. So this is from strategic military point of view. Right. Uh, anyway, Crimea became part of Russia, as, as West likes to call it, annexed by Russia or integrated back into Russian Federation, which, again, as I said, historically, Crimea was Russian, not Ukrainian. And uh, at the same time, the movement started in eastern Ukraine, in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk areas, Donbass. Uh, those areas are also 90% ethnically Russian. Uh, the Ukrainian police started being uh, 
how would I say softly, <laughs> quite direct in trying to deal with Russian people. And uh, basically, Russian people took uh, folks there in, in Donetsk and Luhansk, took, took matters in their own hands. They disarmed the police. They took over the police stations and uh, National Guard and all that stuff and started arming themselves. And just in time, because very, very, very shortly after that, what Western media obviously will not call that, but by all all standards, the genocide of Russians in eastern Ukraine started very soon thereafter. Mm. And uh, when I say genocide, uh, <laughs> it's funny. My my friends just sent me the 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 screenshot from YouTube. If you look at uh, crimes against Russians in eastern Ukraine, all videos are removed. Hmm. Don't want yep. that truth slipping out there, Sonny. We don't want that truth slipping out. We got to control the narrative at all times. No, truth is dangerous, man. Truth it is. is dangerous. Truth sucks. So anyway, uh, the the war the war in eastern Ukraine was active, meaning active as in full blown out military, full blown military action. 2014-2015. Uh, other events occurred in the port city of Odessa. Uh, over 40 people were burned alive after the demonstration inside the trade unions building. Uh, most of them were Russians. Uh, a lot of stuff started happening in Ukraine. There's there's a lot of videos to where groups, huge huge groups of people during demonstrations, they were chanting "Ktoni skochit tot Moscow." So everyone in the crowd had to jump, and basically what they were chanting "Ktoni skochit tot Moscow." If you're not jumping, you're Russian. And if they would see someone who's old or hurt, not jumping, people were literally beat senseless into a coma. Jesus. Simply because of that. There's, 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 there, there were hundreds of videos. I saved upon hours upon hours of those videos because I, I think I may have had a clue that eventually they will be, there will be attempts to remove and hide that part of history. Yeah, oh, for sure. So uh, I made a pretty serious event to save hours upon hours of videos from those events around the Ukraine. So towards the end of 2015, uh, with Minsk Accord negotiations between Russia and Ukraine, uh, facilitated by Belarusia and Germany and France, they, they reached some kind of accord in Minsk. Uh, Russia offered Ukrainian uh, government to give eastern Ukraine, Donetsk and Luhansk areas, a very wide autonomy. Uh, they refused. And basically, since then, up until a few days ago, it was just a simmering war. Daily skirmishes on the on the line of contact. Uh, a lot of people died by some estimates. It ranges anywhere between 14 to 30,000 people died in the eight years. Jeez. Yeah, they, these are not small numbers, Jeffrey. This no, is not, not at all. You know, not at all. One hundred twelve people got killed. No, fourteen thousand to thirty thousand people got killed. How many injured? Who the hell knows? Uh, then Ukrainian President Poroshenko, in his speech to Ukrainian Rada, which is their parliament, uh, made a very famous statement. It's famous in uh, Eastern Europe. It's not so much known to Westerners, and he said, "We will make sure." that children of eastern ukraine will never gonna be able to leave the cellars i want that to sink in yeah 
Uh, current president, Mr. Zelensky, has made similar statements. Uh, he's not this heroic, uh, peace-loving man that Western media tries to present to us. Uh, he is a byproduct of uh, long, long-term Western grooming. I mean, and, and uh, people talk about crisis actors, etc. He literally is an actor. He's a stand-up comic. He was. He was actually fairly popular in Ukraine, and uh, he did a lot of parodies about the number of events and, and, and occurrences, and uh, became a president. So anyway, but you know, in this country, we had a lot of uh, more than one celebrity who became a president, right? So we're not going to hold it against Ukrainian sure. people electing a stand-up comedian as their president. Maybe sometimes people you know, that haven't been career politicians are better than career politicians. <laughs> yes. But then when you, when you couple that with the, with the Western grooming and the Soros money, I mean, it just, I would love to think he was just someone that came from the ranks and he deserved to be there and everyone loved him, but no, 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 that was not something that came through, you know, some kind of grassroots movement. Right. It was groomed. It was, uh, and it's not just Soros. It was direct involvement of oh, our sure. intelligence agencies. Yes. Uh, CIA and many other agencies they had their offices set up in right in Kiev and starting 2014 the West started sending uh, a lot of military aid to Ukraine by some estimates it's anywhere between 3 to 9 million billion dollars uh, now obviously it's increasing very rapidly uh, in addition to that, uh, Western instructors were training people. Uh, now, back in 2013-2014, a lot of uh, so-called Ukrainian nationalists, they formed their own military units. Uh, one of the best known is Azov, which is uh, from uh, southern port city of Mariupol, which is right now surrounded by Russian forces, and it will be taken. Uh, and Azov is pretty famous. Um, I was considering yesterday when I was doing my uh, live thing on uh, Facebook, I was considering showing a video, Jeffrey. And I, I'll, I decided against it because I decided not to leave hundreds of people sleepless after what they see. <laughs> but there is a... And this is not just the only video, but I, I was thinking about showing that one specifically because it really shows what we're dealing with. In that video in 2014, they captured a Russian guy from Donetsk. Uh, it's filmed. It's a five-minute video. Uh, they already had a cross. They uh, First, they kind of tied him to the cross, and then they nailed his hands to the cross. Jeez. They erected that cross, and they burned him alive. Wow. These are the kind of people we're dealing with, Jeffrey. It's 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 not exaggeration. It's not. No, I'm sure of, it's not. I'm sure it's know, not. As I said, I have hours upon hours of videos of things like that being done to people. I have very current videos from Mariupol of uh, Azov fighters, if you can call them that, shooting people on the street that are trying to leave the city. It's a documentary video taken by residents of Mariupol. One of them is from the third story window. Uh, filmed by a woman, you can hear her breathing and crying because she sees the 70-year-old man being pulled over. They get him out of the car, and they just execute him right there on the street. Wow. And there's more than that going on. There's a lot yeah. more than going on. So with that situation, that's, you know, 
to me, that would be enough reason to do something about protecting your compatriots, your, your, you know, in this case, Russian people, right? Right. But there was a lot more going on. Uh, Ukraine had high inspiration, aspirations to join European Union. Obviously, they didn't meet any criteria of joining European Union. And also, they wanted to be in the NATO. Now, as you know, Clinton made huge promises to then Russian President Boris Yeltsin that there will no be there will be no eastward expansion of NATO. Uh, those promises were broken, and anyone with half a brain can see that Ukraine was heading exactly in the same direction, and Ukraine will be part of NATO. Let, let me ask. Let me ask you real quick because this is a real time kind yeah. of development. Uh, Vladimir, Peres- I'm sorry, Vladimir um, uh, Zelensky. I'm sorry. Yes, Vladimir Zelensky today did like an express application to the EU, and it usually takes years for them to approve it yes. and get in. What if? What are your thoughts on that? And what is the difference as far as the impact from like a Putin standpoint or a Russian standpoint if they join the EU and not NATO or one before the other? Is it one in you know six one way, half a dozen the other? Is it pretty much the same thing? If he joins yeah, how many how many countries in European Union you know that are not part of NATO? Right, right. Well, yeah. Well, you, you, the Ukraine right now is not a part of NATO or the European Union, if I understand correctly. But I think not yet. But they're gonna try to stimulate. Well, and again, yeah. going back to the historical perspective on this, and you know, I've been a history guy, and I don't, I don't really know shit, man. I just watch the news and try to put these pieces together. You know, uh, as as the Soviet Union supposedly broke up, there's been this fear of the expansion of NATO. And the Russians, whoever the president is, whether it's Medvedev or, or Putin, is saying, stop this expansion of fucking NATO. You're doing this shit right on my backyard. You're bringing this right to my freaking doorstep. If we were to do that to you, you know, that would be a huge problem if a... Some... Well, let's, let's remember Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Well, and, and people talk about that, that as, if, as if it's necessarily some moral, moral equivalent because... Khrushchev didn't just do that to do that. We had already put strategic ballistic missiles in Turkey before Khrushchev put those missiles in Cuba. So part of the precondition of Khrushchev removing those missiles was we had to get our missiles out of Turkey. So again, they hijacked the narrative and make it seem like it was just this thing that that the Russians just did just to come fuck with us at our backyard. Yeah, you're in the lateral step, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we had already done, but again, it's like these narratives that just go get so obfuscated. Most people don't even realize that's why the Cuban Missile Crisis ended, or that was a part of it, that we had to take the missiles that we had already put in Turkey out, and then Russia did their move. Yeah, well, these are not popular in the West troops of history, Jeffrey, so... Well, and you, and you mentioned, and it's always so huge, man, and I know this is a global thing, but in the West and how we're being spun this information, you know, the National Defense Authorization Act, which gets signed off by every president, I think every four years or two years or whatever it is, they've, they've within that now, they've legalized propaganda, and you brought up propaganda in the beginning. I'm losing my fucking mind, and you mentioned it about something in your Facebook <laughs> Live video. We're seeing we're seeing little shots from movie sets. We're seeing we're seeing old archive footage. We're seeing footage from video games, bro, being sold yep. as what is actually happening there. What are your What are your thoughts on this? No, man, it's 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 psyops. It's psyops as it is. It's psyops to to crank up the the population. It's psyops to basically secure the popular support if and when we get directly involved yes and interesting you say that because i've again there's so much mis and disinformation i saw a video where um 
Zelensky is essentially so desperate at this point, quote unquote desperate, that he's placing a lot of his big arms in residential and civilian areas. So when Russia does bomb these things, they bomb the civilians. And then it's like, oh, my God, Putin's killing all these civilians. When, in fact, Zelensky is actually putting him in harm's way so he can, like you said, do the bait and switch. Like, come on, the West, please help us. As I kill all these, you know, our own people, so you guys can come in, almost kind of like a, you know World War Two. We were out of it for so long, but then after you know Pearl Harbor, we come in, and it's very similar to that. Yeah, well, Jeffrey, think about that. When in history have you heard any media in any country, which is happening now? You can see the article in USA Today today that says anyone who wants to go and help Ukrainians defend, you should contact Ukrainian embassy. Through our media, we are hiring mercenaries to go and fight against Russia. Well, and giving people, I mean, I saw the videos yesterday just filling up Molotov cocktails and the Ukrainian government encouraging people to take up arms. It's, it's, it's leading lambs to slaughter is what it is. Yep, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. You know, and, and it's interesting because a lot of my friends who are obviously pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment, they're almost celebrating it, you know. Oh, look, people are getting guns and full automatic AKs and all that. And I'm like, you're giving to 18-year-old girl without any training, without right. any understanding of the horrors of war and what it is to kill another human being or be killed. And and it's always there's there's so much to this behind the scenes. We get fed so much fucking bullshit. You know, get. Well, I mean, look at the examples, right? The, the thirteen brave Ukrainian border guards in Snake Island. It was not thirteen. It was eighty-two. Uh, Russian ship contacted them. This urban legend got born that Ukrainian soldier bravely said fuck off or go fuck yourself or something and then Russians just unleashed their big guns and killed the 13 heroes of Ukraine guess what all 82 are alive right now wow and and again nothing is new under the sun in that regard psyops psychological operations to control narratives and again in my opinion there's no good guys on this side I'm not saying one side's better than the other I'm just saying there's plenty of fuckery to go around because even Putin he had a guy named Vladislav Surkov he was the first deputy chief of Russian presidential administration I think it was 1999 to 2011 he he had a lot of other roles but he was basically like a political technologist behind Putin he just manipulated stories manipulated realities and people's perceptions of certain events so you never knew what was going on you never knew whether to freaking scratch your watch or wind your ass and this is kind of what we're seeing going on today, just keeping everything confused. William Casey said it. It's like the the time when no one has any clue what's going on. We will have succeeded, basically. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's you know, the modern machine of propaganda is, is it, it, it really has incredible power. And its influence on, on the events in the world, it cannot be understated. It cannot be understated. And it's and honestly, as as I've talked about on my other show before and other things, you know, symmetrical warfare and bombs and guns, that's bad fucking PR, man. It's way easier to, to steal hearts and minds through different different um, applications of warfare, asymmetrical warfare, be it cyber, covert action, financial assassinations, propaganda, etc. It's it seems like we're seeing more and more of that now. You'll always see tanks and guns because there's there's you got to kind of close the deal with some of these things, but. The utilization of propaganda as we see it today in psychological operations, as you just said, is so, so very powerful. No, and, you know, it's, it's really not a new thing. I mean, if you if no. you look at U.S. invasions of Panama and Granada and Iraq and 
all those things, I mean, most of information was manufactured. Yes. Most of information was absolutely manufactured. People were lied to. People were <clears throat> led to believe things that didn't exist. And they got, they say they got popular support. They got enough loud voices to support it, to feel justified to do what they did. When again, with so much, and, and in my opinion, nothing is as it seems. And I always take, I t- kind of take exception oftentimes when people think it's like one bad guy against this good guy or nation state versus nation state. When like you alluded to, whether it's, you know, financial money from the CIA or Soros, there's so much, and I like to call them people, whatever names you want to call it. I, international financial coalitions have been funding both sides of conflicts forever. That's why when people start talking about this stuff, it's a chess game. It's not checkers. And there's often, oftentimes so many players behind it. And even specifically, and I want to ask you to a larger end, I think this is a large shift of the grand chessboard, if you don't mind, or if you will. And it's, <clears throat> and I wanted to ask you about the sanctions and what the sanctions are possibly doing. And does Putin even give a shit about the sanctions? Because they, he, I don't, in my opinion, he doesn't need the West as much as he used to, because there was a growth, if you will, a metastasization of this alliance between China in Russia, and specifically David Northquist, who was a defense under a defense department undersecretary, uh, testified in front of Congress that uh, the U.S. preparation, a lot of their agenda has shifted from terrorism to great powers like uh, China and Russia with the concentration of the focus on China and Russia for potential conflicts down the line. And literally a week or two ago, I'm going to read this, an op-ed, Xi and Putin tout a redistribution of power in the world, and they aren't shy about their ambitions. I just want to read this quick paragraph. The two leading authoritarians of our time have declared unprecedented common cause, perhaps even a de facto security alliance with aspirations of shaping a new world order to replace the one fashioned by the United States and its partners after World War II. What do you think of a possible larger chess game taking place that's really beyond what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, but this is just the catalyst of a, of a larger shift taking place? Well, here's the thing about, you know, China and Russia. Uh, there is no love between them. I'll, I'll just tell you that right now. <clears throat> it's a partnership of convenience right. due to the issues that they both have similar interest as to what's going on. Both countries, and I know we have a lot of negativity to say about Chinese and their politics and what they do and and, and savagery and you know and, and all the other stuff. Yeah. It's 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 you know it's again listening to propaganda, you know, like during the the Olympics in China, you know, Western propaganda is feeding all this shit that athletes are not getting good food and all that stuff. And then you look at interviews with athletes that are not American athletes, and they're all happy as shit and they have fun. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? They do yeah. fun. You know, and you go like, okay, all right. Because I remember similar stuff in the Olympics in Russia, during Sochi Olympics. You know what I mean? Uh, Putin's hitmen were killing gay people in Sochi during the Olympics and all that stuff. And you go like, what the, whatever, right? Right. So the whole thing with, uh, with between Russia and China, yes, they, they forge certain alliance and it does have security implications. Pretty, pretty severe security implications. Now, economic implications... Here's here's what happened in Russia. Uh, after 2014, after the so-called annexation of Crimea, uh, as you know, West imposed significant sanctions on Russia. Uh, did they hurt Russia? Yeah, to a certain degree. 
Uh, and a lot of Westerners also, Western media especially, they say, well, look how, how good did we do? Because for the, for the last seven years, Russia's gross domestic product only grew by 1.2 to 1.6% a year. Well, that's uh, the reasons are not sanctions. The reasons is that Putin for the past seven, well, eight years and counting, was foolproofing Russian economy, banking sectors, and everything else against sanctions that he knew are yet to come. Mm. Russians invested untold billions into creating their own system to replace to replace SWIFT. Russians have autonomous, completely autonomous, non-dependent on the West internet system. It was all created with billions and billions of dollars. Interesting. So Will sanctions have effect? To a certain degree, they will. Okay? Russians will not have access to certain products. Russians will not going to be able to export so much gas to, to Western countries. But guess what else happened during those eight years? They built pipelines through Mongolia and directly into China. They signed 25-year deals that not only replaces if Europe, by some crazy, crazy magic, completely turned off and uh, they said we're not buying any natural gas or oil from Russia the new contracts they signed with China through Mongolia and other Asian countries including directly into Turkey more than replace the amount mm. of oil and gas See, and, and I guess that's what I'm saying this this global this grand trust board is shifting where Russia isn't and even China isn't so reliant on the West anymore and this plays into the oh. hand of your World Economic Forum your Charles Klaus Schwab, your Davos people, who, in my opinion, are shifting everything towards Eurasia. And again, even though Russia might be able to take it and deal with it, I mean, over here in the West, our gas prices are going crazy. You know, different. We're already dealing with inflation and people on fixed income. So what are your thoughts on these sanctions on Russia, even though it might not fuck with them at all, is going to affect the larger global global economy? I think in the medium run, not necessarily in the very long run, but in the medium run, for sure, especially in Western Europe, we're going to see astronomical rise in prices. Uh, when it comes to, to, to next winter, man, for people to be able to afford the heat in Europe is going to be, it's going to take magic. It's going to mm. take free magic. Okay. And, uh, you know, when people say, you know, when you weaponize the natural resources, well, natural resources, why would they need to be weaponized? If you feel under attack, if you feel that you're being squeezed, you weaponize what you can to defend yourself. Right. It's as simple as that. Economy and trade was always also used as political tool. This is as old as politics itself. Yeah. I mean, I agree. That's why I think you said, like you said, the, the Russia-Chinese alliance, I think, more has to do with convenience. And I think, again, the expansion of Eurasia and the shifting power of Eurasia and the one belt, one road policy that China's initiated is a huge part of that. And if you look at one of the parts of the one belt, road, one road, it literally goes right through Ukraine. And so people who don't know, One Belt, One Road is essentially a, a road system, a rail system, and a maritime system around the South China Sea where they've been building these bases, what they call the String of Pearls, these maritime trade routes that go all the way to Kenya and Sri Lanka and, and in Africa. And this has been growing and, again, metastasizing for so long. And these allegiances and these alliances are shifting. And I said even on my other show, when you start seeing these skirmishes going on in Eurasia, a lot of times it has to do with the growth of the One Belt, One Road. But we saw it happening in, in um, Georgia and Abkhazia and 
and uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey. I mean, I think a lot of this has to do with this shifting of the powers. I could be completely wrong, but I just said, you know, I, I think I think I don't know how much influence or how how to say the initial spark Chinese are using for that. I think it's very minimal, but I think it's the strategic long term mistake because Western policies are the most instrumental, the most serious reason why Russia is becoming closer to China. Yes, without a doubt. And I'm glad it's you mentioned by, the long term. It's, it's not by it's not by Chinese design. Because as I said, neither Russians nor Chinese, they have any kind of mutual love going on with each other. Well, and again, these are all, it's kind of WWE and, you know, Klaus Schwab is your Vince McMahon putting, you know, Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant in the big fight. But I think, I'm glad you mentioned the long-term strategy because we're so kind of ADD with how we process the world. Like, well, if it's not happening tomorrow or next week, it's not happening. We're like something like an Agenda 21 is an agenda for the 21st century or Agenda 2030. This is chess. You know, we plan our lives out day to day, week to week, where these guys plan this shit out generationally. And like you just said, I think uh, I think some of this stuff is changing that we're not going to see the larger ramifications from it till down the line. It's true, man. And, and, and as I said, you know, we can we can look at it and it's always easier, Jeffrey, like to, to do this. It's always easier for us to look and go like there's external evils trying to destroy us. Yes. What created those evils? What actions precipitated the rise of those of those evils looking for a ways to take over certain influences that were traditionally for the past 60 years concentrated in the Western world? Yeah. What, what events precipitated it? Did we really did we really play fair? Did we really account for the legit interests of other countries? We didn't. Not usually. And, and whatever you want to call them, it's usually the international finance coalitions, which have de been around for centuries, if you will. Call them what you want. Illuminati, whatever the fuck you want to call them. Again, they've been funding both sides for larger geostrategic uh, ends. And usually, oftentimes, it has to do with natural resources, but not all the time. It's just cause oftentimes it's like, you know, reshaping the map to for, for the next phase or the next iteration of, like that article said, a new world order that is more Eurasian based as it was the, the, what they set up after World War II. Yeah, again, again, I could be wrong. A lot of these things, obviously, none of us have. You know, there, 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 there's plenty of, I guess, signs that you can see very, very, very big long-term game happening. Yeah. But we, per se, cannot necessarily put our finger on it and know exactly. And we have very good suspicions what people behind right. it and what are the ultimate goals. You know, and, and, and the New World Order, you know, here, here's the thing with, uh, and it's a very, very strong sentiment in Russia. And I think partially that is why Putin enjoys such a high level of popularity in Russia, is that Russians are of the opinion that he is, you know, I, I know it's almost like, you know, make it almost romanticizing it that he's that lone holy warrior against the new world order and expansion of the old guard 
to the level to where everything else, including the state of Russia, will be broken up and consumed for its resources. You know, and, and, and in Russia, that feeling is very strong. And, 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 you know, to some degree, you can say that there is manipulation of uh, public opinion going on and all that stuff. But I can tell you, I can tell you because, you know, I, I hail from there. I come from there. Uh, there is a huge resurgence in Russia of, of, of traditional values. There is a huge resurgence of, of faith. There is a huge resurgence of national Russian pride. And, and you know, it's... Uh, it's really in there, in that country, it's a lot more closer to the grassroots rebirth of the nation than, uh, than so-called grassroots movements that we see, you know, during all these colored revolutions right. in Eastern Europe and, 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 and in Middle East and, you know, and all these other countries. When again, it's always tried, it's hard to find someone who could be an objective view to see there's no real white hats in this. And it's like, I I think even somebody's greasing Putin skids. I mean, I think whether it's, whether a different version, or like I said, the international finance coalitions, the same crews who've been funding both sides, whether it's Mao, whether it's Lenin, whether it's Stalin, you you name it, there's always been some forces behind it. And Uh, I will, I will question that. Sure. Absolutely. One one, one thing about Putin is this. He is, He's always been known, even even from the days that he was a colonel in KGP, he has always been known as a wild card that is not easily controlled by anybody. He's, you know, he accumulated extremely, extremely serious influence and power in Russia in his own hands. Uh, I, I, I can say that as a world leader, Putin is probably from all the leaders of major countries and powerful countries and all that. As a sole leader of the country, he probably has the most control over power apparatus and economic functions and to a certain degree, even I will say that, to societal evolution. He's been around a long time, even being a cultural attache during, I mean, uh, back in the day, you know, uh, in East Germany, he's, he's got his hands, he's had his hands in the game for a a hot minute now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing about that dude, the level of pragmatism with that dude, this is what I would doubt, you know, about the, you know, you know, the, 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 the little ideas out there that there could be involvement with Schwab is sometime, you know, years back or whatnot. Um, do you think that people, you know, like, let's say, you know, for the Western part, I guess, of this game, right? People like Soros, like Rothschild, you know, you know those families, right? For sure. Do you think that they would have enough trust that Putin will not turn on the, turn on them? If they were, if they were in control of him, hmm. it's hard saying, man. It, you know, it's they got their, they got their, they got their hooks in all of them in different ways. But no, it's, it's a good point you make. It's a good point you make. And I wonder, I wonder how much of that is is valid. Where you know, Putin isn't isn't corruptible or susceptible to being influenced by larger forces like so many leaders have throughout history what do you think makes him so different other than his pragmatism and things like that what makes you think he's so beyond being um i I guess you know 
doing his own thing. Almost like people said about Trump. No, man, he's a he's a lone wolf doing this shit on his own. Like, there's no fucking such thing. When you get on the global level, when you become a global leader like this, you don't get there unless you're somehow manipulatable or blackmailable. And I don't know, it might be different with Putin, but just in my notion of history, looking back, you don't get I there. Don't I don't think Putin is for the take, man. I really don't think Putin is for the take. Again, I'm not romanticizing the guy. There are no, that's all right. Uh, I don't think Putin is taken. I don't think he will be taken. And uh, I'll tell you a few reasons for it. One, Putin is, for the lack of a better term, a Russian nationalist. Putin is a Russian nationalist, man. Two, Putin has very good understanding that when you are a figurehead or a pawn in someone else's big game, just like every other pawn, you can and you will be removed. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Maybe they're using his, I wouldn't say radical, but his fervent nationalism for this larger geopolitical game, which none of us might even be around for in the end. But it's like you can't rebuild it unless you destroy it kind of thing. It's, you know, this Hegelian dialectic of problem, reaction, solution. Right now the problem is Putin bad. We're all reacting and the solution is going to be the West coming in, and you know, like I was saying in the beginning, uh, uh, the Ukrainian president, um, I'm sorry, um, Zelensky, trying to get his civilians killed, so the West come in and do what we've done historically. Here's the difference. If West comes in, if NATO gets direct involvement, Jeffrey, none of us are going to have to talk about it on the Internet. And is... Was... If, if, NATO gets, if NATO gets involved, I'll tell you right now, without any reservations, without any doubts, this goes nuclear, and it doesn't go tactical nuclear. It goes strategic nu- nuclear, it goes all the way. Okay, so I was going to ask you that. That was one of some of my questions here before I let you slide. That nuclear option, even though Putin said, if anybody in- gets involved, you're going to see the consequence like you've never seen before. I mean, I don't know, trying to... I, we've seen nukes before. Maybe he's talking about something else, but I mean, it's... A symmetrical war against the U.S. There's just no way to end or win, win for him. I mean, it's like we got so much freaking high tech DARPA suborbital direct energy weapons, all this other shit. Like, but but and I guess that was my question: Is could it? And I guess you just answered it. It could go nuclear. And, and yes. the reason and before you answer that, I've always felt like that MADD mutually assured destruction shit. It might have played in the '80s, and I guess it could have happened even in the '60s. But now with the economic interdependence of all these different countries and trade agreements and economic financial stuff, that you don't want to scorch the earth on earth on something that you've been making money off of or going to make money off for generations to come to to go nuclear and like you said, not tactical nuclear. If you're going big time ICBM, twenty five megaton or whatever the fuck they are. Then that's the end of days, man. Yes, that is the that that's that's the day of the Lord, man. <laughs> that's the second coming of Jesus, right there. And um, here here's the thing, man. Uh, I alluded to that yesterday when I was doing my live thing on uh, on Facebook, mm-hmm. and uh, what I said, I think, it was very uncomfortable to a lot of folks. And this is what I said: that. If we have history going forward, if this doesn't go all the way, at some point historians will probably write that this invasion of Ukraine prevented a nuclear extinction of human race. Because if he didn't do this now, you know, part of it, yes, is demilitarization, denazification, you know, removing the Nazis and all that stuff. The biggest part is preventing having NATO missiles 
450 kilometers from Moscow. Right. Mind you, Cuban Missile Crisis, missiles placed in Cuba were 1,100 miles away from Washington, D.C. This 450 kilometers is less than 300 miles, buddy. Yeah, yeah. There is no surviving that. No. And that's why Putin, you know, when they say, well, he's escalating, he's putting his nuclear forces, some of it is posturing, but some of it he's ready to go because if he doesn't, at some point, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, it will be done to them. So apparently, apparently Ukraine has literally been the line in the sand for him. Because like I said, even though he wasn't president, NATO, since the fall of the Soviet Union, NATO expansion has been slowly creeping in for a long time. And they've been saying over and over, do not keep expanding this shit. And he's been playing ball. He's been playing ball with Obama, been playing ball with Bush or whoever. He's been, been playing ball, but he's also was bidding his time. He that's is. And that's I've said that before. Eastern he's been very patient. He's been very. Westerners so, don't have patience. And I'm not, and I'm not describing to whole like he's acting off. The, he's becoming unhinged. I don't. He, he, he no. has changed his whole posture. He's like, fuck this, we're done. And now he's doing what he's doing. So Ukraine basically is the line in the sand for him as far as NATO expansion. It is. It absolutely is. It's not a. It's 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 not. It's not a fake game. No. Well, and even after after Ukraine, and I'm sorry, what's next? Is it just Ukraine? Is he? Because I've heard people say like he's, if he wanted to decimate Ukraine as far as militarily, he could. He's going up. He's having some skirmishes with people and pulling back and then encircling these areas. It's almost like a siege warfare kind of thing. But huh? what's what's his larger end? Is he want Ukraine? He wants it intact because he doesn't want to just tear it up because then you got to rebuild it and all that no, other shit. He wants to no, set up. A, he doesn't want. He doesn't want Ukraine. Uh, does he go to like, the Baltics after that? Not Baltic. Yeah. Does he go to no. the Baltics? Is he Estonia, Belarus? No. Okay. No. 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 This this ends in Ukraine. Mm. This ends in Ukraine. I can guarantee you that this ends in Ukraine, and here's why. People were saying about Baltics. You know, well, NATO can put their missiles in you know Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. That's like you know. 500 miles away from Moscow, 600 miles away from Moscow, 600 and 300, man, that's about three minute flight for hypersonic weapon. It's a huge difference in nuclear exchange. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And strategically, those three minutes make a difference between making it or not making it. If they put missiles in Ukraine, that 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 concept of mutually assured destruction is no longer in place. It's no longer in place. Why do you say, why is that? Uh, because Russia will not have enough time to respond with all of its resources. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. Wow. This is the game. Yeah. This is the game. Well, unfortunately, is... it's not a game. You know, it's you know, it is it is the grand chessboard, and it's you know, it's the... still a game. But you know, yeah. what you're saying, the way he's waging war in Ukraine now, you know, I, I have some documents from Russia of, uh, of of highly placed generals speaking and describing, like in bullet points, what's going on, what they're doing, and disseminating certain information. It's very interesting. It's very methodical, but he's using this war to achieve few objectives one he wants to push ukraine to negotiations he will not accept nothing short of constitutionally enshrined neutrality of ukraine 
he will not accept anything short of that. And if it takes fucking three months of sieging the cities and, and, and hunting the Azov battalions and so forth, he'll do it. And if it's going to cost him 20,000 Russian boys' lives, he'll do it and he will maintain support of Russian people. So And so that's going to pretty much run up against, in my opinion, a wall because NATO and the EU, I mean, they have their eyes on Ukraine, obviously, especially now because the madman's trying to take it over. They're setting up a way where like you can't, no one's going to back down. Putin's going to be like, nope, you don't fuck with Ukraine anymore. And then the EU and NATO's going to be like, well, there's no way we don't fuck with Ukraine anymore because you just, I just no, there's no way to put this toothpaste back in the tube is kind of my point. Like it's the die has been cast, if you will. Here's the, here's here's the medium term game, Jeffrey, and this is what a lot of Westerners don't realize or or don't have courage to think about. Mm. Russians, you can sanction them, you can remove their Swiss chocolates from their stores, <laughs> you can take away their fucking Mercedeses and, and replacement parts for their Audis and and Toyotas and shit like that, and guess what? They're gonna be all right. They've been through this. They're not as entitled. They're not as spoiled by luxury, careless life as Westerners are. Let me ask you a question. Yes, Which population you think would start raising hell and burning cities first? French, German, or Russian if they were without heat or electricity for three weeks? La France. Which, cities would, which cities would burn first? I would say the French would do it first. Yeah. Followed by Germans, followed by British, followed by Italians, Spaniards, and, and on and on and on and on. Putin knows that, that if these sanctions continue indefinitely and there is a stalemate where Ukrainians don't agree to neutrality and not joining military blocs, he continues that pressure on. And that will create a very significant disruption, societal disruptions in Western countries, especially in Europe. And things will start changing. Hmm. So many moving parts to all this, man. And I really, it's just, it's something I, it's my, my daughter came home today and she's got an amazing science teacher and he was really losing his shit today because he realized the implications of this and he knows this is larger than just what we're dealing with right now. And it's just, I think, like I said, so many moving parts. And I, I think, like I said, the grand chessboard is, is always at play here. And it's really frustrating because the level of propaganda to keep us from really getting what's going on. But again, that's kind of part of the agenda of the PSYOPs. Keep everybody so confused. You have no idea what's going on. Um, and, and, and not even just this, but I've heard this notion before. And I want to get your thoughts on this before I let you slide. And I found it very fascinating because when I was listening to stuff about Russiagate however many years ago, I'm like, fucking Russiagate? Really? What is this, 1980, you know, sting? I mean, the Russians love their children, too. But I was hipped up to, and there's an author, former KGB officer, uh, I don't know if you've you probably heard of him, Anatoly Galitsyn, uh, a book called New Lies for Old, and how the Soviet Union, quote-unquote, basically faked how it, it fell from communism as a ruse to make, kind of to reorganize, uh, reorganize their chairs, if you will, to make uh, the West feel that they won the Cold War. And it's almost like a Sun Tzu move, appear to be weak when you're strong. Um, again, that's a book from Anatoly Galitsyn, and I found this interesting. It was a quote from supposedly Mikhail Gorbachev uh, at the por- addressing the Politburo in November 1987. Gentlemen, comrades, do not be concerned about all you hear about Glasnost and Perestroika and democracy in the coming years. These are merely, primarily for outward consumption. There will be no significant internal change within the Soviet Union other than cosmetic purposes. Our purpose is to disarm America and let them fall asleep. Mikhail Gor- Gorbachev to the Politburo, November 19- 1987. This notion, sir that 
a la Sun Tzu, appear to be weak when you're actually strong, and that the Soviet Union didn't really go away, and they've been infiltrating American society and global society ever since. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, uh, I will strongly disagree with that. Soviet Union is gone, for good. Soviet Union is gone. Uh, people from Gorbachev's uh, circles, and these were the people that initiated Putin in 1991, and then of course the 1993 events in Russia, and with the, you know with the tanks shooting at the Russian Parliament, the White House. Yes, in I remember that. All that stuff. Uh, those those were relatively small circles of what I would call ideologically reactionary commies. They are gone. They really are gone. Hmm. I can tell you right now that most of the leadership of uh, organizations like FSB, you know, former KGB and all that stuff, while back in the day when they were coming up to ranks, they were formally, formally members of Communist Party and all that stuff. I will tell you what they truly were. They were, in the good sense, Russian nationalists. Is it a false notion that a lot of those former KGB went in to become the, the, the basically Soviet mafia, Russian mafia? Uh, on the lower level, lower to medium level, yes. Yes, a lot of them got involved with organized crime because obviously the situation was very ripe for the taking. Yes, yes, it was. Oh, you know, <laughs> you know, it's not really that much uh, different than what the United States experienced in the 19th century. True. You know, with the with the concentration of wealth in the, in the hands of certain families, and uh, you know, call it what you will, it was organized crime. Yes, yeah, without a doubt, Kennedys, and yeah, you name it. Well, and it, one, so, no, I'm sorry. So, yeah, with 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 the whole, you know, the the scarecrow of communism and Soviet Union coming back. No, 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 it's not happening. Um, well, I've heard this before, man, writings from um, different authors I've read about World War II and the, the Nazis. Germany lost the war, but the Nazis didn't, went underground and created what they call, Jim Mars wrote in his book, The Fourth Reich. And so I didn't know if this was possibly some kind of, because like I said, Anatoly Galitzin, you know, Dugan. I mean, there's just been different writings about how they went underground and they're still really in control, whether it's, you know, the Frankfurt School and how they infiltrate our school system, cultural cultural Marxism right now, or, or you know, infiltrating our, 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 our intelligence apparatus like Aldrich Ames and the CIA or Robert Hansen and the FBI. Infiltration, infiltration, where it happened, infiltration to the West, it happened in the 40s, 50s, 60s. That was the infiltration that we're reaping the, the fruits of, and it's mainly academia and educational system. This is what Yuri Bezmenov, another KGB defector, spoke about. How this, kind of, this this is this this is a no well known fact. Yeah, it, it was by design. Uh, the problem is that the ideological hawks of communism back then that devised this 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 almost I would say satanic fucking you know yeah. change and 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 shift in our education system and its direction. Um, they 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 really no longer have any power in Russia. They don't. There's very few of them left. Uh, the Russia, as far as leadership and power structures and all that, yeah, there are opportunists, there are corrupt people, there's there's all of that like in every country. Right. But as far as hardcore commies, no. Hmm. No. It's been replaced by Russian nationalists. 
in the in the oligarchs. What role does the oligarch, Russian oligarchs play in that cast of characters? Most of them, yes. Most of them, yes. Hmm. They are up. Most of them are opportunists. Most of them are absolutely have zero to do with any kind of, you know, uh, socialists or, or or communist ideology or its ideals. Absolutely nothing. I mean, look at what they do. They are fucking very savvy, although very predatory capitalists. <laughs> yes, as we've seen. You know what I mean? Yes. You know what I mean? And and ideologically, they know that having capitalist predatory ambition will not work in a socialist society. Why? You're not going to have enough consumers to make fucking money. Hmm. Well, I think a lot of them, a lot of authoritarians have learned that that hard level of authoritarianism or communism, in, you know, lining up against the wall and killing the useful idiots isn't a good, isn't a good PR marketing move. You want to, you want to control hearts and minds. And I think that's enter this whole, the, the, the psyops of everything and, and controlling hearts and minds through propaganda and things like that. So you don't necessarily have to, I mean, bullets cost money. So I don't know, man, I just don't know. So I know you probably answered this, but before I let you slide, this is so huge. I mean, this is still huge in that it's shifting the whole power of everything. And like you can't, it, this is game changing, correct? Yes, it is. Where do you see? World, and again, it, it, we, we will come out of this, Jeffrey, in a very different world. Yes. We will come out of this in a very different world. It's a brave new world. It is. And, it, and it, in my opinion, it began, I mean, it's happened several times, but we've been getting a, a seeing a real big shift. 9 11, COVID, weapons of mass destruction, Syria, the blue helmets, and all this bullshit. Like a lot of yep. things are going on right now that just, like I was saying on my show, nothing is what it seems. So if you can, just in a quick synopsis, give me the short, what's, what are we going to see in the short term? And what are we going to see in the long term? Short term, I think that uh, it's it, it can go many ways with Ukraine. But my guess, if I had to guess, there's probably uh, two most likely options. Both of them are either very short term or medium term. Uh Russians right now, they will take Mariupol and Kharkov, and they're pretty much done surrounding Kiev, and they're pulling up a lot of more forces towards Kiev. They probably will take Odessa. They probably will cut off Ukraine pretty much from a Black Sea altogether. Uh, That eliminates a lot of options for, you know, EU and NATO aspirations. Yeah. Now, those, some of those areas and some of those, uh, so to speak, prizes that Russians will take will be bargaining chips. And those bargaining chips will be used. The thing about this is, man, that while we can, you know, whatever we call it, you call it a financial thing, and uh, some people refer to it as a cabal, as the, whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. While those people do have a very long-term vision, their executors of that vision, who are current leaders of Western nations and NATO leadership and EU leadership and so forth, they are not long-term players. Mm. They are, at best, medium-term players. And I think Putin has calculated that with the pressure being presented enough on the executors of the grand scheme, they themselves will undo what the grand scheme is because of pressure presented to them in the short and medium term. Mm, interesting. 
That makes sense too. I mean, it's hard to execute a long-term plan if in the short term you can't you can't get the ducks in the row. If you execute, if your executor is a no, no, not a long-term player, so let me ask you a question: How many Western politicians you can say you can call chess players? They're order followers. I mean, it's just yeah. literally just Aaron, Aaron boys and girls for much again much larger powers. Putin is the only chess player as far as head of state that the leadership of this whatever whatever this higher entity is yes. the cabal or the, they only facing one chess player brother interesting see I, i'm just i'm so cynical man i didn't think those those kind of lone wolf lone gunslingers existed anymore man because the powers he's not lone gunslinger man he slings 6400 nuclear warheads yeah. <laughs> yes i yeah 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 as that's far as as far a, as a head of state goes that's not a six that's not a 357 magnum six shooter yeah yeah that's 6000 plus warheads and the, with the lowest yield of 150 kilotons see and i thought today like hearing this like putin's talking about nuclear putin's talking, i thought it was just part of the demonization pro, demonization process of putin and that he's talking about using other means other than the nuclear cuz i just in my mind man i just if you go nuclear it's just all over it's game set match for everybody like there's no grand chessboard there's no fucking one but one road like it's all over and we're starting from scratch in a thousand years or however long it takes to rebuild on top of the scorched earth yeah wow all right one last question because i've just i got this article here because we're talking about putin bringing in different forces external forces uh russian rebels etc i got this article here what is chechen kill squad putin unleashes jihadist force to hunt down ukrainian officials uh, each soldier in the Chechen Special Forces was given a deck of cards with the photos of targeted Ukrainian officials on them. As Ukrainian soldiers and citizens display unprecedented bravery to thwart Russian invasion in their country, reports have surfaced that Putin is now unleashing a secret kill squad to hunt down the country's top officials. The Chechen Special Forces, formed under the leadership of Putin ally Ram Zan Kadyrov, is a special force operational in the Chechen region of Russia, notorious for the brutalities. The Chechen Special Forces mostly comprised of jihadist fighters. Is this more bullshit? No, no. Chechens are in Ukraine now. Uh, it's not a secretive kill squad. It's it's a different animal altogether. So let me tell you a little bit about in in in, in Russia they called Kadyrovci. So basically, they Kadyrov's boys. Ramzan Kadyrov is the is the son of his his father who was assassinated in Chechnya with an explosion in the stadium. Oh wow! And uh, Ramzan Kadyrov took over and. Uh, He's one of those, he's a Chechen nationalist. Uh, I wouldn't say radical Muslim, but pretty hard Muslim. But he's also, you can say that he's an Islamic version of pragmatic Putin. Hmm. He's a dictator. Ramzan Kadyrov is absolutely a dictator. I have breaking news for folks. Non-dictators don't stay in power very long in Islamic world. Hmm. Okay, he has a absolutely 100% dedicated fanatical following in Chechnya. And what are we talking about? What kind of followers are those? These are boys that have been involved with jihad for the past 20, 25 years. They lived through it. Yeah, Chechens don't fuck around. No. Ask, ask American soldiers that had, that had to face Chechens in Afghanistan, Iraq, or Syria. Ask what they think about Chechens. Yeah. Uh, in about, let me see here, about 12 years ago, they established what is called Spetsnaz University in Chechnya. 
Okay. All the top Russian instructors from GRU, KGB, and other agencies went there as an instructors. And up to date, up to date. Now, you ready to hear the numbers? Yes. Upwards of 35,000 people that would be equivalent of, uh, I don't know, SEAL teams, Delta guys. Yeah. More than 30,000 of them have been trained with absolute 100% dedication to Ramzan Kadyrov. This is the very different culture. In yeah. that culture, not, not fulfilling the task that's been given by your leader brings dishonor to your family, to your village, to your name. Mm. People die before they give up on trying to achieve what they've been told to achieve. Now, these are not pimpled 22-year-old boys. These are men in their late 30s, 40s, and even 50s. They survived the war after war after war. And now they received all the latest gear and equipment, unlimited financing, and the best training you can find without any limitations of moral or any other kind. Mm. Wow. So that's legit. That is legit. Where they, do they have deck of cards or whatnot? I know they have a list of names. Well, I know that reminded me uh, of uh, the Iraqi the Iraqi deck. You know what I mean? The when they did that yeah, with the yeah. Iraqi uh, army. Deck of cards is not big enough for the list of names that they have. <laughs> more than fifty-two. Because that list of names, that list, oh, a lot more. That list of names will involve every single leader and fighter from Azov Battalion. That's hundreds of people, including people from 30 different countries. There are Americans in the Zov Battalion. There are Canadians. There are Swedes. There are Brits. There are Afghans. There are Egyptians. There are Israelis. Wow. You follow? There are Israelis in the unit that often wears swastikas on their uniforms. Let that sink in. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, man. These people will be. These people will be hunted down. And the reason why why Putin is using Chechens, this is a psyop of the highest order. This is to instill fear. This is to instill complete terror upon opposition. That this is not going to be something that will let off or will sign the ceasefire. No, there's a list, and that list will be fulfilled. Well, and it always helps with plausible deniability, too, using proxy forces. Like, no, I didn't do that. They did that, you know, on their own. I mean, even though there is direct association, they could always, you know, state powers can always be like, I don't... It is direct association, and they're not even hiding. They're not even hiding, because guess what? Chechnya is part of of Russian Federation. Yeah, I guess that's true. So Chechen military is part of Russian military. They're not some outside force. Chechnya is part of Russia. Well, and to it has very wide autonomy, yeah. but it's part of Russia. This is literally my last question. They question. have Russian flags on their uniforms. Yeah, you're you're right, Chechnya. Yes. Well, in in uh, contrast to that, you know, these hardened Chechen badasses, we're seeing uh, in in the Ukraine conscripts of gentlemen eighteen to sixty being called up to fight. What are your thoughts on that? In in train in like you said, in contrast to going up against your hardened trained Russian fighters or your Chechen. Uh, paramilitary crews like you were just describing. Untrained. Problem, <laughs> a lot of those, 
Yeah, well, the problem is they are very dedicated. You know, they've yeah. been indoctrinated. They, they wholehearted. A lot of them believe that they're defending their homeland from the evil invaders that want to occupy and abuse them for the next 500 fucking years. You know, they, they wholeheartedly believe that. So they have a heart for the fight and they will fight. Do they have a skill and ability is the whole different question. Yeah. Some of them do. You know, there's there's a lot of Ukrainian young men that fought in, you know, in, in eastern Ukraine for the past eight years. Those who lived, those who didn't die, they have a lot of combat experience. But their numbers are not there. Right. Well, their numbers are not there. This is obviously something. I mean, I've spent hours doing my show prep. Anytime I talk to anybody, especially you, especially during, and I, you know, it, this is unfolding so fluidly. A lot of our conversations have been stuff that's happened, whether it was Beslan or things that were kind of happened in the past. And, and this conversation here is obviously has an application of real time. And, you know, the implications of all of this are so huge. And I, I'm not looking forward to seeing how this plays out, but it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And, and I, you know, keep doing your lives, man. I love obviously catching up with those. And as this goes on, I'd love to get you back on, you know, a few weeks, a few months down the line to see where we're at. Hopefully we're both wrong and we go back to fucking rainbows and sunshine. But like you said, I don't think we're going to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> we may go to rainbows and sunshine, but I think it's going to be a little bit different colors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, man. It's going to be a little bit different, different shades and different colors. So... You know, you know that saying, may, may we live in interesting times, brother? We certainly are living in interesting times. We definitely certainly. are. We definitely are. Sonny Puzikas, SonnyPuzikas.com, the host, he is the host of Gospel of Violence. I cannot begin to thank you enough for being so generous with your time and and uh, let me sit under the learning tree with you, brother, because you're definitely someone who I, I definitely appreciate your analysis uh, and breakdown because this is your neck of the woods, man. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, things like that, to me, it's not like, you know, geopolitics or politics. I'm not an expert. I'm not a... I've been around. I've seen things. I I, I, I followed things. I watched certain trends developing over time. I do know pretty well the mindset of people from, you know, where I come from. And, and, and watching, having having lived, you know, a little bit less than half of my life there and then being here and watching it from different vantage points. Right. Um, my, my views are different than most Americans have, you know, and, and, and no, I'm not some kind of Russian nationalist, pro-Putin, fuck America kind of guy. No, I consider myself more American than Russian at this point. My kids are born here. Uh, my family is here. We will stay here and I will fight for this country. But not in the sense where no matter what our country does, I will be there. No. Right. If we fight a just war, I'll be there if I'm needed. I'm old now, you know. Who needs me? <laughs> There's younger studs to do. But uh, if it's something unjust, if it's something that's effed up and we're doing someone else's bidding and, and, and we're going into these dirty freaking, you know, aventuristic kind of, you know, bullshit undertakings. I don't want any part of it, man. Yeah. And I will talk about it. And if it hurts American public's feelings, so be it, man. Yeah, but that's, that's you know, right. you know what they say about too many people will gulp down the lies that taste good, but very few people will slowly sip bitter truths. That's so true. And and, and this is this. This is the stage that we're in in this country right now. Yeah, man. This, it's this way easier to lie to people than to convince them that they've been lied to. 
And you know, this is this is turn off the fucking TV. Open up a book, maybe Tragedy and Hope. I don't know, maybe Anatoly Galitsyn. <laughs> just stop because you're the whole function of these media operations are not to tell you the truth. They're not to inform you and quack. In fact, it's the exact opposite. They're there to misinform you and disinform you. So you know, not that we're again. I don't ever go around like wagging my finger like I know what the fuck is up. I love having conversations like this. My considerations suggest certain things, but that's why I love having conversations like this to exchange ideas and try to tease out what's going on because somewhere within all of this bullshit is the truth so again brother i thank you so much for your time sunnypuzikas.com um any final words for our fans my friend well i don't know how many fans of yours pray man but i will ask people to pray for this to be as little blood as possible especially blood that doesn't have to be spilt and uh I, I, I hope I hope people will come to their senses and understand that status quo will not lead us to good outcomes. We're going to have to accept certain change. Yeah. How are we going to accept it? To what degree? That's a whole different conversation. But this status quo will not continue. And I think we're seeing it. We're seeing the expression of that pretty clearly right the hell now. Yeah. Wow, things they are a changing. Thank you again, Sonny. I will talk to you very soon, my friend. Peace and so much love, guys. Until next time.